Well, hello. Good morning. Well, my wife, Megan, Pastor Megan, and I have the privilege of sharing God's Word with you this morning. I want to start off by pointing out that everyone loves a good story. Everyone loves a good story. And as a matter of fact, sometimes we love a good story enough that we get so familiar with it that even the first line of the story reminds us of the entire story. So this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quiz you guys. I'm going to see if this is true, if you can recognize some of these stories uh, just from the first line of the story. You ready for this? That's good, because you're going to have to call out to me what the story is. So you got, you got to be, are you really ready for this? There we go, that's better. Okay, all right, let's see what this first story is. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Star Wars? Okay, yeah, that's good. Good job. All right, we're doing good here. All children, except one, grow up. Peter Pan, yeah, that's right. There was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. I heard... Voyage of the Dawn Treader, good job. Extra points, because that one's a little more harder to get, but yes. The night Max wore his wolf suit and made mischief of one kind and another, his mother called Wild Thing, Max said, I'll eat you up. Okay, what was that one again? Where the Wild Things Are, yes, great one. Okay. In a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. What was that What? The, ho- the hobbit? Yeah, yeah, that was a giveaway, you're right. Okay. Call me Ishmael. Moby Dick, yeah, one for the adults. That's, that's, okay, it is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Pride and prejudice, right. Teacups and drawing rooms and all that good stuff. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Tale of Two Cities, one of my favorite, actually, books. So, all right. And what's this last one? Okay. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible, yes. This is the story of the Bible. And one of the interesting things about this story, as opposed to all the other ones, is that this story is true. Not only is this story true, but we are in this story. We are part of the story of the Bible. This story, unlike all the other stories, could change your life. This story gives meaning to our lives. This story explains why things are the way they are. So it's a very important story. It's a very important story to understand. But there's a, there's a challenge with understanding this story. This is one of, not only is it one of the most important stories, but it could be one of the most challenging stories to understand. After all, this is a book that has not just, it's not just one book, this is actually 66 books bound together with 40 different authors written over a period of 1,500 years. If you've got a Bible, flip it open to the beginning to the table of contents. And you'll see there's a whole bunch of different kinds of books here. You've got the first five books, which are the books that Moses wrote. Then after that, you've got the books of history from uh, 1 Samuel on through um, Ezra and Nehemiah. Then you've got wisdom books like Psalms and Proverbs. And you've got the books of the prophets, the major and the minor prophets, Isaiah all the way through Malachi. And these books don't go in order. They aren't chronological. So if you were to read straight from front to beginning, uh, front to end, it might be a little confusing for you. You'd say, I don't, I'm not sure what's going on here. And you know, if you've ever read a book, uh, a novel or something like that, and you pick it up one time and you read a couple pages and then maybe you drop it for a, a little while and you pick it back again, it can be a little confusing. You're like, what? What are these characters doing? Why is this happening? Where are we going? And sometimes that's the way we read the Bible. We pick it up and we end up 
dropping it and we pick it up somewhere else and we don't see that there is actually one story through all these 66 books over this 1500 year span of time and more. And that's why we're picking up and reading the story. It's called the story and you can see some of the, the branding in the, uh, of the literature on the, on the wall published by Zondervan. This is a great resource for us because it allows us to read it chronologically. It is actually the copy of, of the NIV version of the Bible. And it's edited and abridged so that we can see and understand this most important story of all from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation. So that's what we're going to start doing starting today. So we are going to cover Genesis to Revelation today. Woo! You ready for that? I'm totally serious. And we're going to be done at three. <laughs> yeah. Because we believe in the power of telling the story. Um, the Bible begins in the beginning God because it is God's story. And it's the story of how God makes a way through Jesus to be present with his people. Jesus is the center of the whole of the story. Without him, it doesn't make sense. We're calling Jesus the scarlet thread. Throughout every page of the scripture, you can find Jesus. So we're going to trace the scarlet thread today. How do I know it's all about Jesus? Well, God told us that it's all about Jesus. One of those verses where he told us that is in Luke chapter 24, verse 27. This is after Jesus is raised from the dead and he comes back and he's talking with his followers. And Jesus, it says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, because we are disciples and followers of Jesus here at Chapel Hill, we want to be those who can explain all the scriptures, what all the scriptures have to say concerning Jesus. So we're going to start today. You are going to, we are all going to work together on this. So pull out your bulletin, adults and kids alike. The bottom half of the bulletin is a storyline um, it looks a little linear. I'm going to draw it a little bit more arced so you can change yours if you want. But I want you to track with us from Genesis to Revelation and draw for yourself the images that we're going to give for Jesus. We're going to say Jesus is, and Jesus is the way that God is present with his people. And we're going to say that with a lot of different, a lot of different ways. So mm-hmm. let's start in the beginning. Let's do it. Shall we? Okay, so we are going to start with a storyline. So we're going to start here, and then just like all stories have a good crisis point at the beginning, and then they just keep going and keep going, keep going, keep going, going, going. Okay, so this is our storyline today, and we're beginning at the beginning with Genesis chapter 1. So open your Bible with me to Genesis chapter 1. First page. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. I told you this is God's story. And so from the beginning, we see that Jesus is creator. Let me point, bring that out for you. You see, God is the Father. In the beginning, God created. You see the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then God spoke and he said that let there be light. That speaking is the word 
the capital W, if you will. John 1 says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus. Colossians 1.16 says that through the Son, everything was created. Everything was created through him and for him. And so from the very beginning, we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Creator. So Jesus is Creator. I didn't do this last service, did I? We're adding to it. Okay, Jesus is creator. And Elena Anderson is our resident artist today. And so she is going to help draw the images for us that I want you to draw in your storyline. So Elena, if you will draw a tree for us so that we remember that Jesus is creator. Let me tell you about why we're drawing a tree. The first story is the story of creation. And when Jesus speaks... When the creator speaks, he speaks out of nothing. And then there is light and darkness and earth and water and sky and animals and plants. Yes. Awesome. And all of it, the creator says, is good. And then God made a really special creation. We sang about it today. He took dirt and he formed it into a face. And it says he took that face in his hands and he breathed the breath of life into a man. And it says male and female, he created them. God created Adam and Eve to put in the world his image and his likeness, that his creation would know who he is by this creation. So God wanted to share his world, wanted to be in relationship with his creation. He gave them dominion and authority over what he had created. And so God was present with his people in the beginning. And he was present with them in a garden, a garden that had two trees. So that's where we're getting the tree here. And he gave his creation a rule, just one rule, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I'd been curious about this in the past. Did God want to not allow us to have the knowledge of good and evil? No, but we were intended to have that knowledge with him because we were in his presence and in relationship with him. Getting it from the tree was getting it apart from God. And we were meant to have that in relationship with God. So an enemy comes into the garden and plants the seed of a lie. A lie that continues to beat in our hearts today. And the lie is, you can't trust that God. That God doesn't really love you. And his law for you, his rule for you is not good. And Adam and Eve believed that lie and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And sin entered the world. Sin is when our hearts are opposed to God. When we are turned the opposite direction from him. And when we believed that lie, we turned away from God. And we experienced the crisis in the story. This crisis point is now a crisis of presence. Because of sin, man, Adam and Eve, full of the breath of life from God himself, now are separated from God by sin. And so that's the start of our story. How will God, 
the creator, make a way to be present once again with his people. How indeed. And the story continues and we begin to see the first inklings of God's plan. And we see that in one man named Abraham. God comes to Abraham and he makes him three promises. He promises him a people, a place, and his presence. And within Abraham's lifetime, he begins to see these promises come true. First, with a people. He gives Abraham a son. And that son has two sons. And one of those sons has 12 sons. And from those sons comes a nation. And over the years, that nation grows and grows. And they live in Egypt. And Egypt uh, uh, captures them as slaves. And God rescues them from Egypt through his servant Moses. And as we, as we read through the story, just flip with me through so you can kind of get a physical feel of, of how we're progressing here. And the story of Exodus and, and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy is, is this part of the story where God is, is present with his people as he had promised Abraham. And he is taking them to the land that he had promised them. And in this part of the story, God reveals himself more and more to his people. His goodness, his justice, his mercy. And he asks his people to live with him and to live like him. And he gives them rules and ceremonies that help them to understand who he is. And particularly, he gives them men called priests. Priests are are men who are meant to stand as mediators between God and man and man and God. And so God, God is with his people. He is giving them, he is beginning to answer the, the question of how is he going to be present to his people now that there is this crisis where we reject God. And as we look at the priest and as we look at this time period, as, since we know Jesus and we know who he is now, we can realize this wasn't just its own thing, but this was actually all about Jesus. We see that Jesus is priest. So we're going to write that there and... As you are uh, drawing in, in, your, in your bulletins, we're going to draw the image of a lamb to represent Jesus as a priest. When we look at the Old Testament, when we look at this time uh, when Jesus is, or God is traveling with his people and in, in uh, in, in taking them to this new land, we see that it is pointing forward to Jesus as the ultimate mediator, as the one who is familiar with us as human beings and knows our brokenness knows our frailty yet he is God and so he is able to mediate between us and God and and God and us so already we see that God is answering he is hinting at how he is going to solve this crisis of presence as the story continues we uh, travel even further into the new land with uh, Joshua and Judges flipping through pages of the Bible, and even into the book of Ruth. And in this time period, the people come to their land and they begin to take it. But there are troubles. They don't do it quite so easily. And part of the reason why is because they still believe this old lie that Adam, their father and our father, believed. That they couldn't trust God. That God didn't really love them. So they began over and over to follow other gods. And in this time, God sends men and women called judges. And these judges are redeemers for the people. They help to save the people from themselves. So even here, we begin to see as, as we look forward to Jesus that Jesus is our redeemer. Jesus is the one who saves us from ourselves. And the image that we are going to use for this time in the story and for Jesus as a redeemer is two swords crossed over each other. Because it was a time of turmoil. It was a time of, of great 
um, battles and, and loss of life as people rejected God and as he came to save them as their redeemer over and over again through these judges. The story continues. All right, you've got to draw your two swords. Go ahead and get those down. As the people came into the place that God had promised Abraham, they started looking at all the nations that were around them, and they were dissatisfied with having God directly being their ruler. And so they asked God for a king. And that begins the era of the kings. So if, again, in the Bible, these are a lot of the first and seconds. First and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. And we get a whole slew of kings, some good, some bad. Most of them are building up a city. They're amassing wealth. They're going to battle. And throughout the kings, we see that Jesus is king. Sometimes we, um, sometimes we see that Jesus is king in really good ways. Like with uh, King David. Here, we'll go ahead and get King going. If you want to go ahead and get the crown going for us, Elena. We'll keep talking about Jesus as King. Um, David in 1 Samuel 13, 14, it says that God sought a king that would be a man after his own heart. So we got that foreshadow of, of Jesus as the king, the man after God's own heart. You saw it in the victories of Saul. You see it in the wisdom and the discernment that Solomon brings. But most of the story of the kings leaves us really waiting for a much better king. What we see is that sin, that opposition of the heart towards God is rampant in people. And these kings actually lead God's people astray. They aren't seeking to build God's kingdom. They're seeking to build their own kingdom. They're not seeking to share God's wealth. They're seeking to amass their own wealth. And so in that season, we also get, so all the first and all the first and seconds, right, that we just passed through overlap with all the small books of the prophets as God sends messengers to lead his people back to him. These men, these prophets, were uh, men who were willing and able to tell the hard truth to the people who might not have been ready to hear it. If you flip in here in your Bible, it's from Isaiah all the way to Malachi, the minor and the major prophets. And these men and women were messengers They were prophets to tell people about God's love for them, how he desired to woo them back to him. He desired that they would know that he loved them. He desired that they would live as he lived, as they had agreed to do all the way back with Moses, to live in justice, to live in mercy and love for the foreigner and the stranger. But the people rejected him. So these prophets not only told about God's love for them, but they also told about what would happen if they rejected God. Horrible things, sad things. And so this was a time in the nation of Israel, in this time of the story of sadness, of great sadness, because what happened was the people of Israel were exiled from their land. So when we draw the symbol for prophets, we draw a trumpet, because this is uh, an image of, of, of what they did. We want to tell people and, and, and be loud about who God is and what the consequences are of rejecting him. And we see as we look forward to Jesus that Jesus is a prophet. No less than the prophets of old. Jesus was the one who was telling people about God's love for them. But also of what it meant to reject God. What it meant to be absent of his love and the consequences of that. So Jesus is our prophet. 
the people would reject most of the messages of the prophets. And so God is actually going to go into a long um, period of silence where he's no longer speaking to his people. There's 400 years where God is not speaking to his people. But his last words before the age of silence are words of hope. And they're words that point to Jesus as our hope. And so Jesus is hope. Can you go ahead and write that for me? And Elena, go ahead and come up and draw that star for me. What's confusing chronologically about this that will be more easier to understand when you're reading the copy of the story is that these words uh, don't end in Malachi. They're actually words that come out of Daniel, out of Nehemiah, out of Ezra, out of the ends of Isaiah and Jeremiah. And they're words of hope that promise That God, while God's people have given up on him and rejected the words of the prophets, while they're spread all out, all over the world, God is not done preparing a way to be present with his people. And so we get these beautiful words of hope. And then we turn the page. We turn the page of history from B.C. to A.D. And we turn the pages of scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And this happens like in your pew Bibles around page 809. And then we get into this new era of the New Testament when a star appears in the sky, the promised star of hope, and the son is born to Mary. And Jesus, God incarnate, comes as a man. And Jesus is now man. And so we're going to... Lane is going to draw us a, a very complicated stick figure for Jesus is man. And I encourage you to draw your own. Now, this is really critical. God, the creator who made man, came to be man, fully God and fully man in order to be present with his people. So we've moved now from this crisis point where we wondered, how is God going to make a way to be with his people? And now this, where God becomes a man, is the climax. Jesus is a very happy man with thumbs up on Elena's storyline. Where God is going to come and be present with his people. The climax of all of history. It's this one point in the fulfillment of all time when Jesus said, when God said, now is a good time for people to know me as priests, as the mediator, to know me as redeemer, the one who will pay the price to buy them back, who will know me as king, a just and merciful ruler, who will know me as prophet, the messenger who calls people back to God, who will know me as hope. The hope when all of the world seems silent and God is absent, they will know me because I, Jesus said, I am Emmanuel, God with us. And this God man would grow up to say in John 14, verse six, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. There is only one way to be present with God, and that is through the person of Jesus Christ. And so at this climax point in history, God came to be known to us. And in the person of Jesus, we see all that God intended 
for us, for man, for how we were supposed to live in relationship with him and what impact we were supposed to have in the world when he gave us dominion and authority over creation. So we see as Jesus operates in the world, we see people healed because that's what God's creation was supposed to do, bring healing. We see captives set free. We see the poor fed. We see, the, we see people, um, friends with God, tax collectors and sinners and politicians even. And we see um, the, the handicapped and the lonely and the fatherless all find their place. In the person of Jesus, the God-man. So if you want to know what God looks like in perfection, look at Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the stories of God as man. And when Jesus was done showing us how to live with God in perfect, unbroken presence with him. And after he'd left a legacy of disciple makers who could then point the way to God and say, this is what he looks like. Here he is. Here's how to live like him, with him. Then Jesus set himself on the mission of making a way for us to be present with him forever. And so Jesus went to the cross to pay the debt for the sin, that opposition of our hearts, the hard-heartedness that is opposed to God, Jesus paid for that on the cross. And his death was the substitute for our death. And he wasn't satisfied that that would be the end of the story, his death for ours. But he was raised from the dead that his resurrection power might be our resurrection power, that we could live with him forever And so Jesus rewrote the crisis from man being separated from God to now in Christ, in Jesus, there, he is the way, there is a way for God to be present with his people. Yes. And because Jesus is a man, was a man, there was no way that he could be present to all of us at the same time. So Jesus went to the right hand of the father and he sent us his spirit so that we, each one of us, could be present with God, that God could be present to us. And this, at this point, is where we come into the story. Because this is the age that we live in, the age of the Spirit, where we are able to encounter God, where we are able to get a hint and a taste of what it means to be with Him, to be empowered by Him, to be loved by Him, to be with Him in everything. So we're going to draw an image of a, uh, a tongue of flame to represent the spirit in this time of, of our history. The thing about a flame, the thing about heat that is, that is appropriate for this is that a flame spreads. A flame uh, is a fuel. A flame purifies. And that is what the spirit is for us. That is how God is present to us now. But that isn't the end of the story. Because there is more to come. There is more for us to look forward to. What's amazing about this story Not only are we in it, but the ending is already written, even though it hasn't happened yet. If you flip in your Bibles all the way to the very last chapter, in the book of Revelation, chapter 22. If Jesus was the creator in the beginning, then what is he in the end? He's the recreator. He is the one who recreates everything, the one who makes all things new. As he says, 
to reading in, in chapter 22 of Revelation an image of what it will look like in the end. It says, Then the angel showed me a river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the fruit are the healing for the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. This is the hope that we have to look forward to. This is the ending of the story, where we will see our God face to face, where there will be the tree of life once again as healing for our nation. So we're going to use the symbol of a tree. What's wonderful about this ending for our story is that it really is a happily ever after ending. And the reason why we love happily ever after endings for our stories is because we were built for it. We yearn for it. There is something in our world that we just know, every single one of us, this can't be how things are. And so we long for this ending. We long for all things that are wrong to be made right. We long for what is broken to be mended. We long for the tears to be wiped from our face. And this is exactly what is promised through Jesus. Jesus is the way that we are present with God forever. And so the reason that we know and learn and are given this story is not because the, the story was one and done and now lives on a shelf and you can learn it and acquire the knowledge of it. But because you are in the story, because all of these ways that Jesus has been present with his people are the ways that Jesus is present with his people. And as you learn his story and all the little stories that happen all along the way, we become tellers of his story. And we become ambassadors of hope as we follow Jesus and tell people about the way that God is present with his people. And so all these ways that Jesus was present, that he, he was a priest and a mediator, he was hope, he was king, he is king, he is hope. And our people need this story. You need this story. I need this story. I was reminded of that this Thursday. It's my, it's my rhythm and my practice that before I enter into Sabbath, I pray over all of the prayers of the blue cards. And I was praying over them this week and was just really hit that the answer to all of the prayers, all the needs, all the hurts, and all the praises, all have their answer in who Jesus is, who this story tells us that he is. If you are hurting, you need Jesus as the recreator. If God seems really absent to you or to your family, You need Jesus to be the hope. If you feel like you are isolated and alone, you need to know that Jesus is man and has felt what you felt. The answer to our life is the answer that is contained in this story. And we have been given it to be caretakers of it, to share 
God with the world. He created you as his image bearer to make his name known in the world. And he is present with you and thus present in the world through you. And so the way that we want to close today is to ask, who do you need Jesus to be for you? Who do you need Jesus to be for you today? Or maybe who is Jesus to you today? I tell you what, standing up here pregnant, I know Jesus is my hope because I went through a long period of silence and God spoke. So maybe your prayer today is a prayer of praise. Jesus, you are, you are my hope. You are my priest. You have been my messenger, my way back to God. Maybe your prayer today is a prayer of need. Jesus, I need you to be recreator. I need you to be spirit present to me. But what I want to do is lead us in a time of prayer. And I want you to look at, your, look at that, that storyline of Christ and circle the, um, circle the symbol that you are praying for Jesus to be for you right now. And remember the truth of this story and the invitation that you have from God to be in it. Will you pray with me? God, you are our creator, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we stand before you completely known. Nothing is hidden from you. And so we don't hide from you today the ways that we need you and the ways that we praise you for who you are. And so in our silence, would you receive from us our praise of you and our need of you? Father, would you speak to us as we sing to you, our creator, our recreator? Would you settle within us deeply the truth of who you are and of who we are as those who've been created good? who are deeply loved by a father, who are invited deeply into your presence and for whom a way has been made to be with you forever. Would you speak to us now?